Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, and we are an award-winning, chart-topping podcast, some people call us an oddcast, for people who value real, different dialogues about how to build a legendary business and a legendary life. And as the name suggests, um, we are definitely for people who are different, people who are interested in the road less traveled. And speaking of the road less traveled, today, an extraordinary entrepreneurial story of resilience, creativity, and action in a very short period of time. You see, a few weeks ago, Clint Carnell was the CEO of a very successful company that had designed and was dominating its own category called Hydrofacial. And uh, they were on a growth tear. As a matter of fact, they were having the best year of their existence by quite some uh, margin. And you see, Hydrofacial is this company who is sort of part medical procedure, part beauty um, spa-like experience, I guess you'd call it. And um, their customers love them because they clean your face up and they make you look awesome and they take care of your skin and they do all this other stuff. And so they developed this massive following and um, all around the world and people were flocking to them. And then bam, in February... C-19 shuts their business and their category down worldwide. And as Clint calls it, they were ambushed by COVID-19. So what did they do? They got thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous. And the story you're about to hear is how a category queen company created three new lines of business in a matter of weeks after their core category collapsed through no fault of their own. This is a legendary and inspiring example of how an entrepreneurial team can scale to meet any challenge, even the greatest challenge, frankly, that any of us have faced in our lifetime. Now, I met Clint and his chief marketing officer, Lisa Fawcett, and the rest of the Hydrofacial team through my dear friend, Eddie Yoon. About a year ago, they asked me to come and speak at their sales kickoff event, which I did, and I had a blast getting to know them. And I think you're going to love everything about this conversation. Go to L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com and check out the show notes for this episode to learn more about Clint and Hydrofacial. Now, if the last few months have taught us anything, they've taught us to focus on what's important. And we need to eliminate things that don't work. And if you have a hairball number of software applications and you're trying to run your business, maybe now's the time to streamline down to one. And that's where my friends at NetSuite from Oracle come in. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. It's a complete system for running your business in the cloud from finance, HR, inventory, omni-channel commerce, and more, all in one place, saving you time, money, and headaches. So whether you're doing a million a year or hundreds of millions a year, or you're trying to get ready for an IPO, NetSuite gives you the visibility and control that you need to manage every penny with precision. Go to uh, netsuite.com slash different today. And there you can pick up your free guide, the seven actions businesses need to take now. You see, NetSuite did, uh, they assembled this playbook after talking to many folks about what they're doing. And I think it's very valuable for you. It's called the seven actions businesses need to take now at netsuite.com slash different. And you can also get a free product tour while you're there. Now, speaking of crisis, in a crisis, legendary organizations turn data 
into doing. And that's why Splunk is the leader in data to everything, because Splunk brings data to every question, every decision, and every action. To learn how you can stay on top of data and turn data into doing, visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's splunk.com slash D to E, as in data to everything. And uh, before we get on with Clint, there's one other thing I want to tell you about. We are about to do an experiment in our marketing podcast and do what we think is a first, the first ever marketing pod storm. Now, I'm sure you've heard of a tweet storm where somebody pukes out a bunch of tweets in a row on a topic. Well, we're going to do a pod storm starting very soon. We'll be dropping one episode of Lockhead on Marketing every day for a month with one idea in it. And our goal is to spark thinking to spark, spark dialogue with you and your colleagues, and maybe even hand you an idea that you can go and run with. Some of them you might like, some of them you might not like, but we want to give you one idea a day for a month in an effort to make a difference for you uh, so you can navigate this crisis. And more importantly, the research tells us that 10% of companies exit a downturn stronger. And I want you and your company to be in that top 10%. So we're going to do something radical. The first marketing pod storm starting very soon. Uh, go to Lockhead.com and subscribe or subscribe to Lockhead on Marketing wherever you get legendary podcasts. On oh, one other thing I want you to know, every Friday, we'll be doing a live Q&A on marketing on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, make sure you subscribe on uh, Lockhead.com to Lockhead on Marketing. Now, hey-ho, let's go. You know, just what we're going to talk about today is kind of that new normal, right? Um, yeah. Of not sure I want to see your sales reps, but I still have to be trained. I want to be certified. How do we do this in a way that makes sense? So a lot of really cool business models being broken. I think it's really interesting. It's, it's a good time. So you think it's a good time? I think it is. You know, we've got to look at this has created destruction on steroids, right? So good companies, good executives creative entrepreneurs are going to make this um, one of the more creative times. I mean, I think we talked about this, you know, during these times when capital is constrained, it always has to flow to the best ideas. So I'm, I'm bullish. That's, a, that's incredible because if I understand the story of the last several weeks of your life and, and Hydrofacial's life, and you tell me if I get this right. Sure. A few weeks ago, you were literally on track to have your best year growing in you know, you tell me, but yep. exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. And the company had really sort of found the niche and was executing wonderfully. And then a few weeks ago, the entire thing is shut down. True. You have no business anymore. The category is over, at least for the foreseeable future. True. And you think you're having the best time? <laughs> well, I'm not saying the best time. I'm saying a creative time. You know, it's um, look, yeah, it feels like an ambush. We have a, a guy who's uh, a guy who runs our uh, IT group, a special special ops, and he says, "Look, what you're going through is an ambush. You were walking along, things were fine, and something hit you out of nowhere that you couldn't expect. So, you know, we're a little stunned, um, and uh, we had to brush ourselves off, but we're we're up and back, ready to go." 
And, um, you know, we've had these opportunities land our lap what are, what, that are really exciting. But our core business, we see signs of coming back across the globe. We're just having a plan for a different type of new normal. Um, but I think it's going to help our business. We'll be leaner. We'll be stronger. There's some core competencies we're picking up that would have taken us much longer, cost more money. We would have been more lazy. Um, you know, we've got an acute focus now to really execute um, fast and uh, and with efficiencies in mind. So is it the most fun? No, I'd like to reverse, you know, to 60 days ago. Uh, is it a creative time? Absolutely. Wow. Incredible to hear you say that because you're literally the CEO of a company who a few weeks ago looked like might be gone forever. Yeah, no, it, um, it, it spooked us. Um, you know, we had been growing at, you know, 50% top line and bottom line for over three years. Um, had some really fantastic owners of the business. And, um, you know, when you go from that kind of growth to almost zero revenue overnight, it really changes fundamentally the structure of the business. So we had to make a lot of hard choices, just like CEOs all over the world are making. Um, but we were, you know, the things that made us good at executing on the way up were the same things that are that are serving us well here uh, during these challenging times. And so, you know, strategy, but more importantly, really, really solid execution and uh, real proud of the team. So, so take me into this. Several weeks ago, the entire market category gets shut down. This incredible thing that you're pioneering, the hydrofacial, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But a, a fascinating thing, new category. Um, but the whole space gets whacked because of yeah. uh, C19. And you're sitting there going, okay, we got no revenue. We don't know how long we're going to have no revenue. It is illegal for us to do what we do. Yeah. Uh, you have venture investors. And then what happens? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it was tricky, right? We um, we actually have a, a sizable OUS business, so we saw China business stop. We saw our Japanese business stop. Taiwan. Um, I don't think it felt uh, real to most Americans until it hit the shores of New York and California. Then all, all hell broke loose. Um, our business, believe it or not, was doing was quite healthy and continued with historic growth rates when it was in China and it was in Japan, some faraway place. Um, when the government called for a shutdown and shelter in place in the U.S., that's when things fundamentally stopped. And um, it was really legally, it was a, the legal stop that put a halt to everything. And uh, revenues literally did go from, you know, in the tens of millions a month to zero uh, overnight. And um, that really was very, very scary. Um, you know, and you you want to do the right thing by your people, Uh you want to do the right thing to keep your brand engaged with your consumers and, and your customers. And, uh, you know, in our case, we have private equity investors. So you've got a lot of different constituents and you're trying to balance that in a very heightened sense of extreme urgency. So it was challenging, um, to say the least. And, you know, um, Eddie and I have been holding you folks up as a great example of this sort of interesting, uh, what at first seems like a dichotomy, but actually is deeply connected, uh, this idea of being uh, radically generous yeah. and thoughtfully aggressive. Yeah. So so walk me through how you get to uh, standing up a whole new category of mask in a matter of weeks. How does that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think as um, for your listeners who may not be aware, we've always, uh, it took us a while to stumble upon this. Some was with the help from Eddie. We don't uh, have any listeners. It's just you and me having a beer. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, essentially, when we when we kind of stumbled across one of the things that made us successful was we were an and company, not an or company. Um, that was a really powerful insight for the hydrofacial company. We operate in an ecosystem of 
physicians and nurses and consumers and you know spas and hotels etc um everything that they do besides us we make better and so we tried to function in our ecosystem as an and company so we ha- you don't have really a natural competitor we're literally helping our competitors which sounds a little strange but people are competing for dollars for neurotoxins for fillers for laser treatments the truth is we kind of do the canvas the skin that makes everything they do better so when we lock down on this and so company, one dimension everybody who makes my face look better is potentially a hydrofacial competitor, but you don't look at it that way. You think nope. if you're in the make people's face better business in some way or another, even if you take some revenue from us from time to time, you're still a partner. That's how you, that's your headset. Yep, absolutely. No matter how good a painter they are, um, everybody needs a clean canvas. So think about hydrofacial, like giving those physicians med spas a clean canvas. So the and principle. Might I say your face looks wonderful, Clint? Thanks. <laughs> it's California sunshine, Christopher. Um, you know, I think uh, when we stumbled upon that and, it became more than just kind of an insight. It became like our modus operandi. So when the we didn't go looking to be in the mask business, the ventilator business, the telemedicine scheduling business, it's strange. Within about three days, all of those opportunities found us. Uh, we were working on a, um, a proprietary high tech mask that would go in addition to a hydrofacial treatment. That entrepreneur who has a very small team of 10 people um, was asked by the Department of Defense to pivot to masks and said, I don't have an organization. Can you guys help me? Boom. We were in the mask business with a highly unique category creator. Um, there was a local company in Long Beach. We've gotten fairly involved in local um, support of the community. Um, you know, as long as Long Beach is trying to really become a, a better city, Hydrofacial has been a big employer growing very fast. We've been working closely. They called me the city and said, hey, We've got an entrepreneur that has a ventilator business. He needs engineers and he needs space. Can you help him? We met on a Saturday. And now we're helping the ventilator business. And then one of our sister companies came down with COVID-19 early in their call center to shut them down. And um, we had the ability to take appointments and, and book schedules. And uh, we retrained our customer care team to uh, be on the front lines of taking it, uh, you know, really concerned uh, people's calls about COVID-19. So it just kind of fell in our lap. I wasn't out cold calling to be in these uh, disparate businesses and, and they won't all last. Some will give us some core competencies. So, so I just want to make sure I get all this. So in, in a very, very short period of time, weeks, the business is shut down for the yep. foreseeable future. You say, okay, well, um, we're, we're going down swinging here. And you start opening yourself up to possibilities. You start asking yourself questions. What, what can we do as opposed to what some people do, which is say, oh, we're fucked, we're fucked, we're fucked. You said, well, we might be fucked, but what can we do, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have now, if I I got this right, three new areas of business. Number one, through a partnership, you're Mm -hmm. delivering the first copper-infused or copper, you guys call it impregnated cotton mask that is reusable up to 30 times, yes? Correct. And you're selling a shit ton of those masks. We are. I mean, uh, our mass business, um, you know, we expect to be a, a long-term business under this new normal. So it's, it's copper impregnated into nylon. It's performance fitted, like, uh, you know, athleisure wear, and it's washable. So kind of good for you and good and for the planet. And it's as shit. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a nice mask. I mean, look, masks, nobody likes masks because most people haven't had to wear them. Once they wear them, like, this is, this sucks. It's uncomfortable. Suck, yeah. And, uh, and so ours isn't Yours is like a nice, uh, comfy sock on your face. Exactly. No, I mean, we really wanted it to be, um, 
you know, it's really a new category, right? We, we, we believe that we're going to be in low risk, high trust environments. So think outpatient services, going to your dentist, rehab, optometrist, ophthalmologist, esthetician areas. We're probably very little chance of contracting COVID-19, but a real need for high trust without awkward conversations. So um, we're pretty excited about it. It's doing really well out of, out of the gates. And my understanding, kick me under the table if I'm wrong here, but uh, on a per-use basis, it's, it's about half of what a comparable mask today is. Is that right? Yeah, it depends on your environment. I mean, it's 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 a dollar a wash, but most people simply don't wash theirs every day. Um, you know, my family's been wearing them for now five weeks. They typically wash them once or twice a week. It's really hygiene. Um, yeah. Fr- hygiene focused at that point. So, uh, But the nice thing is they're antimicrobial because of the copper. So you can literally put the thing in a paper bag, bottle it up, and four hours later, later any of the virus would uh, would have been killed. So it's it's really really unique and a, a true category creator in its own in its own right. And I remember when we first talked about it, if I'm not mistaken, it is a first of its kind, is it not? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's not a reusable copper impregnated mask right now, and uh, let alone the fact that it's relatively fashionable. We'll be able to brand it because we think this will be part of a healthcare workers uniform going forward. Um, can I get a so, follow your different logo on it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a mouthful, but I'm sure we can make it work. But uh, hey, no, an attractive logo. <laughs> yeah, it's a great logo. It's an awesome logo. So, so we did that, and now you're selling hundreds of thousands of these things. Yes. Yeah, we're moving along. Um, you know, we've got the healthcare channel and aesthetics channel. So, you know, we're really working on those. Um, think outpatient services, not inpatient services. For those doctors mm-hmm. and nurses in the in the ICU around a lot of COVID nineteen patients, probably not the right venue for them. But you know, if you're going to the dentist, it's great if your X ray tech has this on because um, you'll feel more comfortable and she'll feel more comfortable. So. We've got a really large market in front of us. Fantastic. And then uh, let's dig into the ventilators. So so help me here. There's a company that needed help. Uh, explain to me what happened here. Yeah. So there's a company here in Long Beach, and enge- primarily engineers that develop medical device products. And uh, they had a, um, a ventilator that works in the NICU for premature babies. If a lot of, uh, a lot of people have seen those before, it's always terrible. They, they operate a little differently. Um, and the nature of that technology, uh, the federal government uh, believed that they could adopt those for adult ventilators. And so they had to go through what would normally take, you know, a year or two process very quickly. And we had a highly uh, trained engineering team, systems engineers, software engineers, hardware engineers, and we were able to redeploy them uh, to help this company out. So it was very rewarding. Um, they have current manufacturing, dependent upon what the surge need is. We could also bring some space online for them, but it just worked out that we were both in each other's backyard and we had the skill sets they needed. I don't expect that to be a good core competency for hydrofacial going forward, um, but it sure was nice to re-employ some of our engineers and uh, to help fight the good fight. And so again, here's a situation where maybe not, it sounds like the masks might be a long-term play and it sure looks like masks are going to be around for a while, right? So yep. And plus, I got to believe in your core business, which we'll get to in a second, but the hydrofacial will come back and yep. going forward, the therapist or what do, you, what do you call the person doing the procedure? We, we actually call them hydrofacialists. Um, they the can hydrofacial. be a nurse, some taste the doctor, but yeah, we call them hydrofacialists. They're part of the hydrofacial nation. But, but they, the hydrofacial nation will be wearing masks for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. And we're actually outfitting most of our um, industry brethren as well. So probably 10 of the companies in our industry, um, we're, we're equipping with their own masks and we've committed that we'll brand them for them. And uh, it's the face life mask is the, the, the trade name. 
And we're actually going to have for practices where their consumers want to know they're safe. It's kind of like protected by ADT. There's going to be a really cool black, black logo that says protected by face life mask and, um, right. and the characteristics of that. Because I think, you know, we've got this healthcare crisis we've got to help people through. That's created a financial crisis. Um, but really, it's created those two together. It's created a fear crisis, particularly in these intimate settings. So um, we think we've got a really good long-term uh, product here that will augment our core business. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty intimate when somebody's fucking around with your face, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was on a, a great call today of industry uh, CEOs and KOLs around the globe, and um, one of the doctors was kind enough to say, "Look, um, neurotoxins above the mask, upper." And uh, I told him at this time we don't want facials done, but hydrofacials absolutely okay. So um, I think there's still a lot to learn. We certainly don't want to be cowboys on the safety side, but we're going to help our practitioners uh, help yeah. their consumers feel safe. And then, so on this ventilator stuff you're doing, this is really helping out a local company because you have some expertise and some and some other resources you can bring to bear. But that that's probably not a long term play. That's just a yeah. help out now kind of a play. Yeah, it's a let your neighbor borrow the hose, right? Yeah, and then explain to me exactly what's going on with your um, call center and w what you're doing here, Clint. Yeah, this is the one that's probably the least sexy uh, to people, but has really been the most impactful to me and, and the leadership team. Um, and so I'll take a minute to set the stage. Um, you know, we, we take orders from estheticians, from nurses, doctors on consumables. It's a nice transaction. It's very business oriented. Um, when this contract fell in our lap to help our sister company, I had a, you know, probably the average age is 25 to 30 year old customer care people. Um, sometimes we're their second job. And we went to them and said, can you take frontline calls from people that think they have COVID-19? And I'll tell you, I was personally shocked. Because um, and it threw us on our back heels for a couple of days, and these and these teammates of ours as well, because they were, you know, taking calls from people that were suicidal, thinking they were going to die. Pregnant women worried that was their baby going to contract, and what happens if they died during during this? Um, I mean, these are scary calls, and we had people really scared. And it was interesting. Um, we absorbed it, went back, and and you know, our leadership team gave them the talk that hey, do you realize you're on the front lines? These people. You're able to talk to these people and triage them to professionals that can get them help and make them feel comfortable. If you weren't there, who would they talk to? You're gonna you're doing something you're gonna be able to tell your grandkids about. And and once we did that and they approached it differently, it's amazing to see uh, how our team has responded. We can be, we've uh, as of last Thursday, we've taken over twenty five thousand calls. Each person averages about a hundred a day. And uh, Christopher, it's really cool. This isn't just people our customer care. We had some people come off the shop floor and volunteer for the job. And one of them is one of our top performers on uh, productivity. So it's been, I mean, it's been one of those like things with humanity. You have a tough time not tearing up when you, uh, when you see this happen in these young people's lives. And so these folks in your call center, they used to be scheduling hydrofacials. Is that what they were doing or what were they doing? They were primarily taking orders, um, you know, from our customers in some cases, you know, fielding, Hey, yes, we'll get you a trainer out there or a sales rep, you know, traditional customer Just care. Inside sales, inside yep. support, that yep. type of stuff. Yep. And so now you're inside tele customer love department. Yeah. Uh, is now fielding calls. Yeah. from people with medical concerns, people who are deeply, deeply fearful about uh, their own health, the health of their uh, loved one. I can't imagine being a pregnant woman thinking maybe you have this. Yeah. And so you took frontline CRM uh, customer-facing people and you turned them into this lifeline. Yeah. 
That's exactly what we did. I mean, uh, and their productivity scores, uh, based upon talking with the, the executive team from our the company we're helping out, they're off the charts. So, you know, not so only- this was a company, if I understand correctly, this was a company already contracted by some agencies. Yep. And, and they were getting overflow calls and they were looking for other companies with call center people who might be willing to step up. Is that, is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. I mean, essentially, you know, there was a spike in, in telemedicine um, due to the crisis because people didn't want you to come into the hospital or the doctor's office if you had COVID-19. So those spiked. And at the same time, uh, our sister company got wiped out because they caught COVID-19 inside their own scheduling group. So um, one is we were able to help them out, but more importantly, uh, you know, it, uh, it surprised me. Like when we signed up for it, it felt very businesslike. It became much more than just a business being able to help these guys out. More importantly, uh, help the, help the patients out. Um, I mean, the stories just would, would tear your heart out, you know, talking people off of, uh, being concerned they wanted to take their own life because they already had mental health issues, you know, being pregnant. Um, you know, we have some Spanish speaking customer care people, you know, had a whole family yelling at them calmed them all down. So uh, I am just shocked. You know, these type of things, you're, I'm always shocked about how people are really good and respond to things like this. And our team stepped up in a huge way. And I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's just a stunner. Weeks ago, we were doing hydrofacials. Yeah. Yeah. We were selling shit over the phone. We were servicing yeah. that over the phone. Yeah. We were we were dealing with product issues. We were dealing with our technology in the field. We were doing training. We were we were growing at a huge rate. We were uh, employing people. We were bringing, hiring people. We had an aggressive hiring plan for the year, yes. Yeah, yeah. Aggressive partner training plan for the year. And now, did you say 100 calls a day some of these folks are taking? Yeah, each person averages 100 calls a day. And we have roughly uh, 22 of our customer care people employed doing this. So <laughs> it's cool, Christopher. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things I will never forget. I don't care what else I do in my life. Uh, it's, I'm proud of them. So if you believe, and I, I can't remember if it's a Chinese proverb or an Italian proverb. I'll go with Italian because my wife's Italian. Yeah, good choice. The, the, the fish rots from the head down. Yeah. Right. That, that, that a company is in a very meaningful way, a reflection of its leader, particularly a company of your size. Remind me how many folks, full-time folks you have. We were about 525. We've had to make some obviously yeah. reductions since then, but about a little over 500. 500. So you're a good mid, good size, mid size company. It's a good size, yeah. Yeah. a real company. But as the CEO, you can know the vast majority, if not everybody, pretty much, right? Yep. Yep. And so tell me about how you've been being, what you've been doing, Clint, to uh, be part of creating these opportunities and in such a rapid period of time. Yeah. Deciding what to go for and then and then getting on it, whether it's whether it's being able to manufacture literally hundreds of thousands of masks a week or help with this overflow on the ventilators. And and I didn't know you were doing this thing on the call. So tell me about you as a leader and, and your thinking and, and behavior through this thing. Yeah, it's a good thing, you know, as a leader, I've got I have a great team. We're huge on high performance leadership teams. We're pretty cohesive. You've you've met a few of the folks and um it's the team that really kicked off hydrofacial and has done quite well on the way up. Um, and it, it was amazing seeing the humility each of us uh, has undergone as the, the world kind of blew up in front of us. 
I'm sure we haven't fully processed it yet, but it was amazing seeing the team come together. We're spread out all over the country right now. Um, part of us are in work in the office because we're an essential office or essential business. Others are spread out around the country, even globally. And um, I think in some ways we will be a better leadership team on the other side. And and it's because of, of this. One is on the way up, I tried to very much kind of lead, um, I think, from behind. We've got a good leadership team. We really wanted the brand to speak for itself. And um, I think we did that. We were highly engaged with our consumers, highly engaged with our customers. When when the world kind of stopped spinning, um, you know, I looked to leaders that I'd, I'd heard of through crisis management. I think at that point, it's important for the leader and the leadership team to lead from the front. And whether it's your employees that are furloughed, it's your customers that are scared, it's your colleagues that are looking for a year to bend, um, it's much more important for the leaders to be visible often. And so it's, it was a really uncomfortable with me at first until I realized I just had to kind of use the position as CEO to help other people feel better, even if I didn't have the answers. Could you like being more in the background, Clint? Yeah, I mean, I think um, every CEO has some amount of high profile, but I don't think my my typical style is to be out there on the tip of the tip of the communication spear. Um, it, but I think in times of crisis, you have to, even if it's not your favorite position. Um, so I would say that's the biggest flip. You changed your personal posture, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and I think also more unilateral leadership. Um, you know, the interesting thing is you get bigger, and you you know this because you've scaled a bunch of companies. Um, you start to collaborate a lot more. Things take more time. You know, it's more bullshit, right? As you get bigger, just naturally. Um, it's hard to story tell about what made the company great when there were four of you around the kitchen table. So it's interesting. We have, we, we've picked up a fair amount of our own BS. And um, I found that during the crisis, uh, I, I became more unilateral, told people to be less collaborative, cut to the chase more quickly. So we're more almost in like a startup mode um, because time and making a decision are more important uh, than, you know, having it entirely buttoned up. So uh, we went from, I would say, a, a very successful mid-market, even even kind of approaching the bulge market uh, business. You know, we were going to do almost a quarter billion dollars this year um, to zero overnight. And uh, and that, that causes you to think about doing things a little differently. And so uh, it, it strikes me, Clint, that... Um as as Eddie and I have talked about, you guys are a great example of thoughtfully aggressive and, and radically generous. And it, it seems like you're an empathetic company, but you, you tell me. Well, that's a great word. Um, you know, I, I think you can both be uh, strong and sensitive as a company. And if you are genuine in, in those principles, people pick up on that. So, Get nothing wrong. We're highly competitive. We love kicking ass. We we celebrate the wins. Uh, we don't like losing. It's, it's even in our values. Our values are one team, as in a foregone conclusion, we will win. Um, that's the acronym. So we're highly competitive, and we are a um, and we are a highly capitalistic company. But I don't think um, that means you can't be a company that is empathetic. In fact, I think there's great power in being empathetic. Uh, and, you know, really engaging with your customers in, in the things that you both have in, in common. And in our case now, you know, our, our customers are nervous, their consumers are nervous. And so showing empathy and helping to guide them actually is a source of great power and strength. So um, we've always operated that way. You know, when I came here three and a half years ago, I'd done this long enough and helped build enough companies. I was like, 
you know, screw it. We're going to do this exactly the way you should just do it if you're a good human being. So we have a lot of very human characteristics as a company that have been a lot of fun to put into business. Now, I'm going to wade into an area that maybe is not, um, you're not supposed to, but uh, it, it won't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I already figured um, I'd get into trouble when I agreed to this. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Come over here, little boy. I have something yeah. for you. Um, but remind me, and that is that the, the, the number of women in the company, there's a high percentage of women in the company, yes? Yeah, it's really unusual in our, our space, which is uh, the sales force is typically male-dominated in our space on the capital side. And our, our sales force is over 90% uh, women. Our executive team is about 50-50. Um, um, I think we're 50-50 down the, the middle on the all-employees. And it wasn't um, by design. It was kind of by accident, but has been a really powerful uh, driver of our, our business. And uh, of course, you and I met uh, a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, mm-hmm. when you graciously invited me to come and speak at your sales kickoff. And Clint, I have given a lot of sales kickoff speeches, <laughs> but I can tell you, I mean, I've given more than I will ever remember, but I can never remember getting up in front of a sales audience. And it, it at least for, for me is standing up in front of the stage. It looked like a hundred percent women in the audience. <laughs> yeah. That, that sales team is almost a hundred percent women. It's, um, you know, it's really interesting, Christopher. I've, I've, you know, I've led, you know, I've been leading at a senior level now for 20 years, um, started a couple of my own companies. Uh, this is the first one that's had that characteristic, um, comes with a slightly different divide, uh, vibe, but our team is fiercely competitive. Um, but there are some elements of how you lead a team that is, you know, primarily women, uh, slightly different than, than the men. I think it's made us better. What's really interesting is our hydrofacialists, once we identified their voice and we realized our reps had the same voice and their customers had the same voice, it made it real easy to do that elusive, authentic talk that everybody's throwing around as a buzzword. I mean, we're just very authentic because it's the way we all talk. And uh, we tried not to overcomplicate that with a bunch of consultant bullshit. And um, and that's that's been one of the keys to our success, I believe. And I wonder, uh, and again, this may be inappropriate, but it's an unusual uh, experience to to have this kind of ratio in a company. Do you think that being um, having such a strong representation of women has helped you essentially stand up three businesses in a few weeks? Uh, do you think you would have been as successful doing that if if Hydrofacial was a typical company with a lot of a uh, lot of dudes in it? You know, I, I hate to to uh, to generalize, but I will say in this case, there are two executives. I mean, all my executives worked hard, um, but two executives who most profoundly felt um, the challenge and had to shoulder the opportunity. One was Lisa Fawcett, uh, who, you know, is our chief marketing officer, is just an amazing executive. She happens to be female, uh, but she she stood up this uh, this mask business like just under heroic uh, circumstances and, uh, has working been working around the clock, uh, from, I'm not even sure if it's her bedroom or office or where it is in Rochester, New York, you know, 3000 miles away from headquarters. Uh, the other, um, is Deb Rodriguez, uh, who I think you briefly met, who, uh, is our CHRO or head of talent. And, uh, she was, she was really challenged with, you know, a lot of furloughs, um, that we had to do in a very compressed period of time and treating people well. 
We stand up a newsletter that we do every day to our furloughed, non-furloughed, a Facebook closed page. Um, we send video messages two or three times a, a week to our furloughed and non-furloughed employees. And then we had to learn how to also work as a safe social distance space uh, with probably 50, 60 people in this building. So they just happened to be female. Um, but, I, you know, all the executives were really challenged. But I, men tend to get cast, as you know, it's so often in these like heroic you know, lead from the front wartime heroes. But I'll tell you, I've got a lot of appreciation for female strength. And, and I've done real well by having solid uh, female executives on my team. And, and uh, it, to, to us, it works. So it's not a societal, it's not a quota hiring decision by me. It works. We're, we're good at it. You know, I'm biased because I'm the product of a, uh, of a single mother. And I don't know. And uh, being in marketing and tech, for some reason, uh, in tech typically the two departments that attract uh, women more so than men are are HR and marketing, less yeah. so engineering and sales typically in in tech. But anyway, yeah. so uh, my point is always been around lots of women, lots of powerful women. Worked with lots of powerful women. My mother's a powerful woman. My 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 wife is Sicilian on both sides. She'll tear your head off. Not even think about it. <laughs> Anyway, long story longer, I've always thought, hey, if you want to get something done, not only give it to a woman, give it to a mother. Mothers get shit done. <laughs> yeah. I think there are some, you know, the science, I'm sure, uh, you know, this wading in dangerous area, but women have to multitask a lot. And, and I do think um, I've seen some amazing executives that can multitask through whether it's a personal crisis that you never know about because they're able to compartmentalize or, you know, hold differing opinions. Um, and I, and I found that sometimes me include as a male executive, sometimes we're really good at focus and send me through the wall. So I think having a balanced executive team makes you stronger. Same with age, same with, you know, uh, ethnicity, same with, uh, gender. I think having a diverse team leads you to better stuff. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember you telling me that now that you say it with your, you're, you're coming from a single mom, a lot of our, um, a lot of our estheticians are single moms and it's amazing when you spend time and empower them, that they will run through the wall for you. I mean, that was the key in zeroing in and understanding who the fighter hydrofacialist is. Man, she she's a pretty amazing person. A lot of times primary breadwinner, a lot of times young children. And, you know, we've been working to improve her lot in life. And that's been a real big driver. I, I think I've got like 10,000 extra employees out there that aren't on my payroll, but we've got a really strong bond. I love it. That's amazing. Now, I wonder, uh, and give me as much or little color as you want, uh, Clint, but a few weeks in, standing up these three new businesses, uh, not being 100% sure when the, when the normal hydrofacial business will come back, but maybe getting starting to get some visibility on that. Um, do you have any idea what kind of year you might end up having here? Or, or how do you think about sort of the business and the forecast going forward? Yeah, I, I think it's really tough, Christopher. I mean, um, this call I was on today, there's there's three scenarios. You know, there's the either quick or modest recovery because people feel good about the vaccine or containment or whatever. Um, that's the one I'd love. CEO optimist, marketeer in me, you know, all skies are blue. Um, you know, I think there is a, there's a third scenario, which is kind of this up, down, up, down which I think is more practical for what we're planning for. And that's a rolling pandemic. And uh, we're seeing our China business come on, our Japan business come on. We're seeing signs of life in the Middle East, even in Europe. And now as some of the states are starting to open up in the U.S., we're seeing orders come out of those areas in our core business. So um, 
you know, let's see how that goes. Uh, I will tell you our APAC business, our Asia business has more leads now than it did pre-COVID-19. So the macro on our consumer, they definitely want our treatment. Um, our providers certainly want to put their hydrofacial systems to work. And I think it's all going to be the underlying data and how comfortable people feel like yourself, you know, or your wife on like, hey, can I go outside? Can I get these treatments? Will I be safe? What's the risk profile? So I don't know what the year looks like. I know that um, what I've done as a leader is um, we've we've organized our globe geographically. So I've got somebody over EMEA, somebody over APAC, somebody over Americas. That's good. You probably won't be able to fly. And they have a lot of autonomy. And then in the U.S., um, we left a lot of the regional directors in so they can feather in investments based on either hot spots or, or comm spots to do business. So I've just tried to decentralize. So in some ways, I'm acting very unilaterally and then a lot of ways decentralizing so that I can get information from the field quick. So we're trying the best we can. You know, it's interesting in that regard. You remind me a little of my discussions of late with um, uh, former Navy SEAL Chris Fussell, now chair, uh, president of um, McChrystal Group, and of course, uh, Stan McChrystal himself, where this is my synthesis of what they put in place, but there was very strong directional leadership. There was, very, uh, there was clarity of mission. There was radically high levels of communication and collaboration. And at the same time, radical autonomy, push authority to the field. Yeah. Look, I, I'm always really hesitant to compare any type of business to warfare. And I've got tr- tremendous respect and awe for the, the type of men you're, you're talking about there. And I look to them for inspiration. But I think a lot of those principles can be applied. Um, and uh, that's why I'm a huge fan of military history and, and thought leadership. I just uh, did a thing at um, the Cole Center. It's Coach Kate's Center for Leadership and ethics at uh, Duke University. And there were several high-ranking generals or just retired generals, admirals at that uh, meeting of about 50 people. And it was incredible the parallels you have in civilian leadership positions with the military, just the scale and sometimes the objective is different, but a tremendous amount of learn back and forth. But as, as it relates to strong messaging, collaboration, communication from central command, and then decentralizing and providing a lot of autonomy. I think that's a pretty good recipe for, for peacetime in this crazy world that we're in right now. Just when the things are frothier, more bullshit shows up, right? More politics, more bullshit. Sometimes it's good to have a flattening like this because it teaches you what's real and what really works and who you can count on. Yeah, very interesting. Now, uh, Clint, if you, and I'm sure you've read a bunch of the same things I've read, uh, you know, a lot of the good stuff that our friends at HBR put out, a lot of the research from whether it's Bain or McKinsey that gets published in HBR. Uh, when this thing first started, I went back and looked at a whole bunch of these things. And and my synthesis of the research, essentially, and the different numbers are different, but, you know, my synthesis of it is that roughly 10% of companies exit a recession or a downturn more strong, stronger than they were uh, prior to that. You know, there are studies that say it's 8% and 14% or whatever, whatever, but, you know, round numbers. And so it really seems to me that you folks have been insanely creative, very, very aggressive, opportunistic, and, and at least either implicitly or you'll tell me explicitly, trying to position hydrofacial to exit this thing stronger than it came in. But I, I'd be curious how you were thinking about it in the beginning, in particular now as things are starting to open up and we're trying to figure out, we're trying to create a new future here, um, you know, the position that you think hydrofacial is in. 
I can't speak to financially what it will look like, Christopher, because I think that would be um, you know silly on my part, because uh, I think there's a lot of external factors that will dictate our financial performance. I can tell you the company, I believe, throughout my 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 uh, my entire being that we will be a better uh, better company. Um, we grew so fast um, that now when I look back at it, there's a lot of areas we could have grown faster. And in retrospect, we know skill sets, we built structure, we built, um, we know the secret sauce. Now we know better where to put $1 of investment more efficiently. So there's like all the stuff we learned kind of looking backwards, uh, which you rarely get a chance to do in business. And it wasn't a slow drop. It was like off the cliff. So once the ringing came out of our ears and we looked back, we're like, hey, there's better ways to do this. And I think the whole team feels that way. Um, The two new skill sets we picked up, I think, um, learning how to prop up this mask business fast. And more importantly, and it's it's part of, I can't speak entirely to it, but we have always believed that our ability to drive consumer demand into our providers was a closed loop that we would would love to be able to um, have a broader influence on. And so learning how to take consumers over the phone, direct them to providers. That's certainly something that's accelerated. We've accelerated our certification of experts and um, and the ability to help our estheticians with their careers, our hydrofacialists. So there's all these things that we're actually getting considerably better at, and we've got the playbook. So hydrofacial will be a hell of a lot better company than it was one years ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, the financial performance may have some external factors, but I can't control the external factors. Yeah, yeah. It really does strike me. And of course, you know, I don't know you guys intimately, but knowing you guys a little, that Hydrofacial will be a materially stronger company. Uh, Clint, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? Yeah, I think just maybe um, t- uh, touch base a little bit on the on the core business. I know everybody's really interested in the pivot, but um, do you feel like we've touched on the, the Hydrofacial business itself? Yeah, w- maybe. Uh, one of the things I'm fascinated by with, with the business is you feel like a classic new category if you're sort of to draw a Venn diagram. I'm just sort of jamming with you out loud here, but if you sort of say the traditional uh, facial, and then if you say sort of, I don't know, a traditional spa relaxation, make me feel good type experience, and then a third circle of a medical procedure, and in the middle is this new thing. But but yeah. how do you think of what hydrofacial is as a new category? Yeah, so it's technology-enabled skincare. Um, you know, everybody has skin. Most everything you're told out there is very confusing. And I think what we've been able to do is really pierce above the noise with a very clean message that helps declutter. And that's three steps, 30 minutes, best skin in your life, hydrofacial. And why that's important is because at our core, we do something real simple. We cleanse, we extract, and we hydrate. And it just turns out those are the three best things you can do with your skin. And, and so you as cleanse, we, you extract, and we hydrate. And at the end of the day, there's a there's a bucket of goop that you show me you took out of my face. Is that right? <laughs> All the crap we take out, it's the gunky. And um, you know, if you do a hydrofacial once a month, it will give you a noticeable difference. But the nice thing is, it feels good. You'll look great right afterwards. And then there's a health benefit to your skin. So it's really a very basic, simple product. Um, but I think our marketing message is so true and so. Um, transparent and resonates with people that it really just makes them feel comfortable they can then turn to us for other things so we become highly influential in the category just by focusing on a real basic um natural desire to learn more about taking good care of your skin without it being too complicated 
Well, and what I love when you connect things that he that prior were not connected, you have new category opportunities. And so you've taken a more, you tell me if I'm using the right language, uh, a scientific medical procedure type approach to something that was mostly a feel good with maybe some beauty benefits. But in this case, um, you're, you're, you are trying to create a positive, if you will, medical outcome for the skin on somebody's face and it feels good and you like the way you look. And so it's a sort of hybrid of a cosmetic thing and a medical thing. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely, Christopher. And I mean, you're, you know, look, you're, you are legendary, literally. Um, I, I've had a couple CEOs go, Hey, man, you, you sound like that. Have you read that Play Bigger book? You know, you were highly influential. Eddie Yoon has done amazing work helping us. Um, you know, I think um, if uh, I, I joke, and I, I don't think Eddie would mind me saying this, that uh, I said it's like having a uh, work, working with Eddie is a little bit like having a private Yoda. I feel like Luke Skywalker, you know, there's no such thing as try, just do. And when we brought Eddie in, it's because we were successful, kind of feeling our way through the dark. And Eddie had worked on categories, has that you? And he's like, oh, simple, dummy. Here's what you're doing. And once we kind of learned what that looked like, it was like watching the Matrix and seeing the code come alive. And um, I think hopefully what you see in the mask, and also uh, you may be aware that we launched Caraviv, a healthy scalp, with the same principles as uh, our approach to healthy skin. But if you think about the mask, right, there's only three things that matter. Nobody knew anything about masks till 30 days ago. Now we're all like experts. How much protection do you have? How does it work or feel? And how do I use it? What's my cost? So there's only three buckets. And if you think about our mask there, ours is copper impregnated, so it's it's got great protective characteristics. It feels great on you, which most don't. Um, and it's reusable, which with the concern over the environment and also just how many billions of masks are being thrown in a landfill right now, those three characteristics are very different. So I'm just not a good me too, or I'm cheaper marketeer. So I tend to gravitate towards these weird white space, which now are called category queens. And um, it's fun, man. And it's fun. Um, uh, and I think hydrofacial is going to be stronger on the way out because we're just, we're just getting started. Well, and what I love about you and Lisa, and, and I haven't spent as much time with the rest of the executive team, I'm sure it's true for some of them as well, is your natural category designers you were pioneering this new, quote, white space, to use your term, uh, before. And I know you did it before in your career. Yeah, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, I get seem to get parachuted into two categories, um, like the Mr. Wolf category from Pulp Fiction, where like all hell's broken loose, get somebody who can assess, decide, put a team and fix. Um, or these where people go, we're not sure what we have, but we think it's special, but it's screwed up and we had to fire the other guy. And we don't know. So I, I, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. My life, my next life, I'll be a CEO that just, you know, turns the knob to squeeze out more pennies because this is not the easiest track, you know, category creators. Uh, and when you try to lead those companies have a lot more doubters and you hate all your friends by the time you're successful because they're, they're then parroting back your own marketing to you. And they've been telling you you were an idiot behind your back for 10 years. So um, I've been on a couple of those. You know, I was in the early LASIK days. I did a dialysis. There's a fine line between clever and stupid, right, Clint? Clever and stupid, brave and, and uh, you know, um, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, you know, I also have the, the other business, Orange Twist, which is just, you know, crushing it the same way and as a category creator and uh, equally hurt by the business. And that, that management team is doing the exact same thing. It's incredible. 
um, the leadership of, uh, of Denise Keeler, Paul Gaynor, and uh, and the team that's in place there. Because they're literally, you know, we've got 15 centers throughout the U.S. and we had to shut them all down overnight when we couldn't do these treatments. And um, and uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I you know, I bitch about my management team just like any CEO does. You know, you get frustrated when you're uh, you have high expectations. I couldn't be more pleased with them. They're really uh, amazing people. Well, I'm stoked to hear all this. I want you to know, Clint, um, it's been great getting to know you and Lisa. You too, brother. And I just want you to know, I think you folks are incredibly inspiring and you're a great example of how entrepreneurial companies can come together in a matter of weeks. You know, you described it as being ambushed, completely go into new areas and at the same time, be positioned to step back up as your as your as your core category. It now sounds like it's starting to move in certain parts of the world. Yeah. Um, and so, thank you, thank you for being legendary entrepreneurs and for being so inspiring, and for finding a way to, uh, on one hand, save Hydrofacial as a company, and at the same time, make a giant difference in the biggest problem you know this generation has faced. Well, thank you, brother. That's a, a high compliment from you. I know they don't come easy. And um, and I want to thank you and, and Eddie and, and the folks that you've introduced us to that continue to help us. So you've allowed us to go out there without a net and walk that proverbial tightrope. And uh, and has given you've given us a lot of uh, a lot of courage. So thanks so much. Thank you, brother. And look forward to chatting with you soon. Stay legendary. You as well, brother. Cheers. Well, there he is, my buddy, Clint Carnell. Uh, that was a goodie, wasn't it? Isn't that inspiring? Aren't entrepreneurs great? Isn't business awesome when it gets aligned on the right things, doing awesome things and making money at the same time? That shit makes me happy. I hope it makes you happy too. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Clint Carnell, Lisa Fawcett, and the amazing team at Hydrafacial. Don't forget to go to lockhead.com and hit subscribe and subscribe to Lockhead on Marketing for the first ever marketing pod storm coming soon and don't forget we'll be doing live q a's on fridays all right i would also like to thank the amazing folks at onelifefullylive.org helping you dream plan and live your best life the number one lifefullylive.org uh bottlenecks uh, virtual assistance is it time to scale you uh is it time to have a an assistant who is physically distanced check out bottleneck.online today and a lot of people are turning to podcasting. Two things I want you to know about podcasting. Uh, if you're starting a podcast now, the technology you want to use for remote conversations with guests is nothing other than Squadcast.fm. That's what we use. I know the founders, founders of this company. They're great entrepreneurs. They purpose-built Squadcast.fm for professional podcasters. There's videos so you can see each other, but they're not recording the video. The video's there just so you can have a natural conversation. They've optimized for awesome audio, squadcast.fm. Interviewvalet.com. That's how you get your ass on Legendary Podcasts as a guest. And don't forget my friends at Atrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. And don't forget, if you can make a difference, now's the time. Don't forget NGOs, uh, your, your local faith-based organizations, churches, hospitals. Uh, if you can make a difference now, now's the time to make a difference. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. 
And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain disturbed. Uh, warning, the creators of this oddcast may have been consuming libations. We are produced by living legend in the podcast world, the OG, Jason DeFilippo. And if you're not listening to his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, get on it. It'll make you happy. Uh, my friends Sarah Knox and Jamie J doing technical execution awesomeness and lockhead.com. Jamie's going to be turnkeying the new uh, Podstorm for us using some cool new technology. Where do you see that? Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Fishing for a good time starts with throwing in your line. Linda Carter is the real Wonder Woman. George Carlin was right. Listen to Katie Lang. Only buy pasture-raised free-range eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much. Stay healthy, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your difference.